Hello, friends. This is Kevin with a little note of disclaimer before we get started today. With every episode that we produce, uh, this is just a record of Matt and Kevin talking. We do not necessarily represent the thoughts of any organization of which we are a part, namely our churches or our denominations or the Red Sox fan base or the 49ers fan base or whatever. But And even between us, Matt and I don't always agree. Sometimes we push back on each other and sometimes we just let the disagreement pass. The next couple of months, we're hoping on the podcast to have a number of guests. Uh, we invite them on for a variety of reasons. One, we just like to hear from a fresh voice. It's probably good for you too. Uh, it's good to hear from a different perspective. We love to learn from others or at least engage in open and honest conversation. So we may not necessarily know what our guests are going to say or agree with them, but we do invite them to share whatever's on their minds and on their hearts. We'd like to just kind of turn it over to our guests when we have them on the show. So we hope our podcast conversations are helpful to you and provide some encouragement and or food for thought as you follow Jesus and seek to understand the world through the lens of scripture. And now onto the podcast. Hello and welcome to Matt and Kevin Talk Church, two pastors, two old friends from two different denominations on two different coasts talking about faith, culture, the Bible, and the ins and outs of church ministry. I'm Matt Curtis, pastor of Decision Life Church in Wairika, California. And I'm Kevin Sheehan, associate pastor of Reformed Presbyterian Church in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the podcast. Today is February 22nd, Monday, February 22nd. We'll be posting this, Lord willing, on February 24th. Uh, today we have a special guest on the pod. Well, all of our guests are special, but this one is also special. Jason Stride is a friend of mine. We go back, I was thinking about this, almost 20 years now, um, which is, this kind of seems crazy, but in many respects, we're very similar, but we've also had really different life and ministry experiences the last 10 or 15 years, uh, ever since we lived together in Colorado, and then we each kind of went our separate ways. So we invited him on the podcast for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's a good and faithful follower of Jesus. He's also a good and faithful friend. He's a thoughtful and compassionate and wise person. And lastly, because his life and ministry experiences have given him a different perspective on the events of the past year than mine or Matt's. And so we would just love to hear from him. So Jason Stride, welcome to the podcast. Jason. Thank you guys. It's great to join you today. Yeah, Glad to have you on. Can you, can you, do you remember when we first met? Like it was in 2002. Yeah. We were probably playing pool or something. <laughs> you were probably, Let's, let's be more specific. You were probably beating me at pool. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So why don't you uh, just introduce yourself a bit and uh, yeah, we'll turn it over to you. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Jason Stride. I'm uh, married to Christine. We live in Boston, um, just south of Boston and Weymouth. Um, we have two kids, Caleb and Yvette. Uh, I, we've been in Boston area for about three and a half years now. Um, we came, I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, have been in various places and within the U.S. and Colorado. Uh, Kevin and I were roommates for a little while. I was lived overseas in Kosovo uh, among Albanians um, and have been in Philadelphia and now Boston. I uh, am a pastor in the PCA. I work with Christ the King Boston as a, um, a missionary really to Albanian immigrants, uh, really throughout Boston Metro, even kind of part of different parts of New England. Um, and I've been doing that for three and a half years. Um, when I was a missionary in Kosovo, I lived uh, and worked with Albanian people within Kosovo and um, learned language and culture. Uh, and then in Philadelphia, we were involved in the planting of a um, Albanian congregation. So, yeah. so three pastors for the price of two today so <laughs> listeners extra bonus for you yeah well, i had the pleasure of going to your church in philadelphia once actually we took a youth group trip there because mm -hmm. as i recall you had worship services in four different languages uh in, in a part of philly where there's a lot of just an incredible number of nationalities and it was just a really cool experience for my youth group who had you know just 
had a very different lifestyle out in kind of more rural Pennsylvania area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, in many ways when I went back when I went to Kosovo back in 2005, um, I was thinking I would be there for a long time, um, done into language and, and culture and was immersed in um, in the midst middle of that is when God brought my wife into the picture and she was in Philadelphia. And that's always how the story goes, right? I, I, I was doing this, I was doing this. And then, and then there was this girl. Yeah. <laughs> so that changed everything and uh, ended up, you know, moving to, to Philly. And um, a few months later we were engaged and married. And so my, our, my plans changed um, in a pretty radical way, and my our perspective began to change in a radical way, just about the world and missions, and um, realized that there were uh, twenty thousand Albanians in Philadelphia, and uh, in many ways, God had prepared the way, even bringing a, a, a close uh, a, another worker, Martin Cothro, who was an Albanian brother and friend, and his family, who we began doing ministry with, and came to this realization that in many ways um, the mission field was, was right among us in Philadelphia. Uh, and that continues to be our experience in many ways. It feels like God brought me to uh, Kosovo to learn some language and culture really for work uh, among Albanians in, in the States. Yes. You were in Kosovo for two years, right? You had pretty much just gained language proficiency. Yeah. And then Christine came along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was a pretty, pretty fascinating experience, you know, as uh, growing up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, um, you know, I was, uh, was in a pretty monocultural reality, right? Uh, our church was all blonde haired and uh, blue eyed Dutch, um, you know. Well, I mean, if you, if you ain't Dutch, you, you ain't exactly. much, right? I mean, that's the. That's what so. I was told when I went to a Dutch church and I am not yeah. Dutch. So yeah, yeah. I was so, in my place. <laughs> yeah. So that was my world, um, and you know, God's grace had little experiences of, of some diversity outside of that. But yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating how, especially going into college, God really started giving me opportunities to cross culture with international students, with um, some racial reconciliation stuff. At, at I was at Michigan State, um, and then I spent uh, a couple summers in the Delta, down in Cary, Mississippi. Um, often, you know, the own, the, the white boy, um, young man among, uh, you know, a class of, of black students and um, just getting to, to really experience for the first time being a minority, being in another culture. And then and there was the whole kind of Albanian reality. So, yeah, it's uh, a far, far ways away from the streets of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Well, talk a little bit about what you did after college and how you got to Colorado. And then from there, what led you to Kosovo in the first place? Yeah. So, you know, at, in the end, the end stage of college was beginning to think about uh, the mission field, had spent summer in, camp, in uh, Turkey with um, crew um, and was, you know, really uh, loving learning culture, thinking about especially the unreached people of the world. Um, remember, there was a time I was was in a uh, a bus driving through kind of the countryside of Turkey and, and just realizing as we were passing these little villages that it was most likely that, that no one in that village had ever heard of Jesus and that they wouldn't uh, unless something happened propelling someone, um, you know, to cross a culture and, and share the good news. So, the, the, you know, the, the words of Romans 9 and, and how can they believe if no one um, preaches to them, uh, you know, was, was really has always been really powerful in my life. Uh, and I've often had this ask, well, why not me? Um, and I remember even, you know, it, my memories of, uh, you know, s- kind of the Sunday school years of growing up in, in a church was when it was Missionary Sunday. I'd hear people talk about missionaries and I'd always think, man, there's no, in the, no way in the world I'd, I'd do that. Um, I'd want to do that or <laughs> I could do that. Uh, and then found myself, you know, in a place like uh, Turkey and, and beginning to think about that. Um, so after that, I was considering various places for long-term missions opportunities. Uh, and then in the midst of that, got in touch with Horizons International and uh, George Husni and began to 
really enjoy and catch a vision for the, the, the ministry to Muslims they were, they were doing and uh, moved to, to Boulder, Colorado to work and to learn and to study and to work with international students and to travel um, and get to see what God was doing among uh, Muslims across the world. Yeah, and that's where we met. We moved to Boulder in the same same summer, I believe, in two thousand two, and we we're I think I think we actually met not at the pool table, but at church, which makes it sound a lot better. But we were both looking for a church because we were both new to the area, and we both wound up at the same church, which was a Dutch Dutch Reformed church. You fit right in. Uh, I if mean, you're listening, if you're wondering, listeners, I don't have a meet cute with Jason. So if you're wondering, if you're waiting for that, it's not coming. Uh, I went to visit Kevin in Colorado, and I suppose I met Jason there at some point on that visit. But yeah. So you were with Horizons in Boulder for like three years before you went overseas? Yep, about three years. I'd taken some short term trips to different places in the world, uh, spent some time in Zambia. Um, we were in uh, Singapore and Malaysia, um, and then I think three short-term trips to Kosovo. Um, they, the Albanians pronounce it Kosova, so sometimes I might say Kosova and sometimes I might say Kosovo, but um, that's why Kosova is the Albanian kind of pronunciation. I didn't know that. Well, I think in Slavic languages, when there's an O at the end, it sounds like an A, because I know that's true in Russian. So I learned that from you. <laughs> like, I, like, I remember you'd get back from your trips and like, you mean Kosovo? And you're like, no, Kosovo. I'm like, oh, okay. So now I call it Kosovo because I happen to remember, this is a, I happen to remember that we were roommates in 2004 when the Red Sox won the World Series mm-hmm. and you were away on some trip. I think you actually, you were arriving that night, the night that they clinched the World Series and you came home to a roommate who had champagne all over the place and yeah, was rather delirious. Very excited. <laughs> yeah. 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 So then I was, you know, I was wrestling with uh, really want, you know, willing and ready and considering where, where I could go and where God might have me. And my trips to, to Kosovo were really impactful because I experienced a, you know, the, the Albanian Christian um, kind of population there was maybe, I mean, less, you know, less than 1%. And they were all Muslim background. Uh, believers, so so men and women who had come to faith um, through reading scripture or uh, you know the the testimony of someone else, and we're living in a culture that was definitely really hostile. Um, maybe not necessarily with uh, there was I mean there was some threats of violence within families or um, some people being kind of kicked out of their family because because they came to faith, but even just culturally, you know, it was at the end of. Uh, some of the the war within within Kosovo, so that kind of finished in '99. That was when there the Serbs um, had kicked out and expelled many Albanians. There was genocide that happened, so really traumatic time. So even uh, an Albanian Muslim uh, becoming a Christian was also often often seen as a cultural kind of uh, betrayal. You were becoming a Serb by becoming a Christian. So. Mm-hmm. These were the Christians were people who were were risking uh, really everything following Jesus. And so to be in a place uh, like that for two years, most of the time I was the only foreigner kind of within the church, um, people who were open and honest with their faith. Um, and, uh, you know, the family atmosphere of the church was real. I mean, I, I did some stuff with youth and helping out, but I, you know, I took so much more. I learned so much more than what I, I gave when I was there and it really shaped my experience of, uh, of my faith and my perspective on the world. And um, it's really impactful. I was going to say, what does that, what does that do to a kid from Kalamazoo, you know, to, to go to Kosovo and have an experience like that? It blows everything away. Right. I mean, in terms of it, the things that the, the principles of scripture became more and more real but the, the cultural parts of faith, um, I think it, it brings a lot more clear clarity to what is what is the what are the cultural expressions of my you know the faith that I grew up with and what are actually the the biblical principles that that you see across culture um, and and what are the things that I you know can learn and take from a, from a culture like the Albanian culture. So can, can you flesh that out a little bit and just tell us what like give us an example of what you mean? Yeah. yeah. So. Um, you know, as, as I, you know, I spending time in other places of, uh, of the world with Christians, 
you know, I saw for sure uh, the way that, that Christianity in America is, it has power, right? There, there is a, a power to our Christianity. There is affluence. Um, there is prosperity. Um, there's independence, right? Rarely do we really kind of need each other. Um, so, so Christianity, most of the time is kind of on our terms, right? We choose when we go to church, we choose when we call our friends. Um, there's not a desperation or a, a family community, uh, that's necessary when you've lost your other family because you decided to follow Jesus. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the, my experience of how like Christmas was not a family holiday there. The only people who celebrated it were the, the people who became Christians and they were in the church together celebrating, uh, you know, the birth of Jesus. And it wasn't about, uh, you know, the Christmas tree and, 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 you know, the fireplace and <laughs> decorations, it was, you know, our saviors was born. Um, so, so some of those realities of, of experiencing more of things like that, uh, you know, culturally, like I loved the hospitality and the relationships of the Albanian culture. So this, this affinity to people, so people being prioritized over, over kind of your, your time and uh, what you have to get done. Um, if you, if you meet a, fr- you know, a person in the road, you don't just keep going because you got something to do. You stop and you talk um, and you might talk for a while. And, and the next thing happens when it needs to. Uh, but people are very much the priority. Um, you know, the, the caring for, for the elderly, you know, the, the, the idea of wisdom is with actually held by those who have the, you know, the age and, and experience in life um, versus, you know, kind of our culture where, we, we tend to look down upon those who are less, you know, less in their, their prime, right? So as people age, it's easier within American culture to, to kind of not respect or to not value their effort or the activity or, or the wisdom. So those, you know, those perspectives, the, the power of family were some things. Um, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, there's so many things that we just don't see in our own culture. When, when you're within your own culture, you just, you can't really see it. Um, right, and to yeah. go to a place that's so drastically different brings a lot of those things to the forefront, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, it's um, the you know one of the things I definitely wrestled with was the the whole uh, theology and concept of suffering. What's the role of suffering in the life of a believer? Um, you know, we we I, I I faced very little suffering in terms of my Christian experience. Um, you know, and so really dealing with people who suffering in some sort, whether it's persecution or whether it's the threat of persecution or whether it's just the trials of life was very much, you know, part of their experience um, and where their Christianity really thrived. So to see that that persecution or opposition was actually what really grew the church, grew the faith of people, spread the gospel, uh, you know, it's such a, it's just a totally different perspective um, from, from growing up again, where, where Christianity is kind of the, the majority culture to to them, taking up your cross is meaningful. Like, like that has, and like that lands that, like that passage lands in a different way there than it does here. Yeah. 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 Very much. Yeah. I think what's, it's interesting with that, um, you know, to continue to see that, that in that context, that's the, the most powerful testimony of the gospel is when I'm facing persecution and I still cling to Jesus, right? right. Uh, that, that you can't, you can't outdo that in terms of witness that when things are not going well, when this is hard, when it's, when this is actually costing me something, when I cling to Jesus, then then the world can't argue with that, right? Um, and we see that in the early church. We see that in the spread of Christianity all across the world, is that it thrives and flourishes in uh, context of suffering and opposition. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the only other thing that I uh, have reflected on is it was probably the, f- the first time I encountered the scale of depravity and evil in the world. Um, mm-hmm. I was in a country where, you know, there were, so there, in, in a, you know, in villages during the kind of the Serbian invasion, um, they would kill the men and the boys. Uh, I mean, and, 
and and there were a couple of villages where the only the only ones left were women and children. They they killed all the men and the boys, and and everyone else would just flee and go into the mountains and were refugees. And you know, even within that context, um, often there was there was a there was a connection even with the the Serbian Orthodox Church, and so there were crosses that were were even painted on some of these homes that were burned out. Um, and so to like you know again Kalamazoo, Michigan, like I that was so far out of my experience was to see that the evil and then the trauma of that in the lives of people. Uh, so uh, this, this, re, this encountering a world where not only is evil um, possible just on a personal level, but also really within, a, you know, in such a large scale, uh, it's just, it's shaking, right? It's challenging. Um, but it, it also is, it's sobering and saying, um, this is what's in my own heart. This is what's in all of our hearts. Uh, and, and the potential for it affecting, you know, whether it's the systems we have in America, whether it's, it's corruption within government, right? Whether it's issues of race or it's issues um, of, of power and greed, right? Like this is, so, so I think my, um, yeah, my optimism would definitely took a hit as I started seeing that and became more and more able to just wrestle with, you know, a biblical perspective of evil and suffering and um, just what that means for the Christian and, and for society. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find the people there like eager to talk about this stuff or to talk about it with you? Or was it something that was almost like not discussed out of either trauma or shame or something like that. Well, it was interesting that, you know, the, the war was the, the, the time marker that was always used in conversation. So when people were talking about events, it was before the war and after the war. Um, and so, yeah, as, as I would get to know people and, and sit with them and, you know, over, over relationships, I'd start to hear more of the stories. Um, so some were more eager to tell um, others, you know, I, I never, never heard what happened within their families, but every family had someone that was affected. They lost some uncle or some brother or some cousin or, you know, so um, it was pervasive really throughout the country. Yeah. And, and so some of it was talked about, some of it wasn't quite so easily talked about a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the um, results of whether it's kind of the trauma or depression or those things um, that wasn't, there wasn't a lot of openness about some of that. Well, maybe that's a good place for a break and we can come back and hear about his ministry in Philadelphia and Boston. And like Kevin said, maybe we do some comparing and contrasting. So uh, why don't you go grab a cup of coffee, listener or tea or whatever, and we'll be right back with more of Matt and Kevin Talk Church. Hey, welcome back to Matt and Kevin Talk Church. We have a special guest with us this week, our friend Jason Stride, who has been uh, telling us a little bit about his life experiences and ministry experiences and uh how that has shaped his life. Um, I think we're up to about the year 2007 or so. Uh, so we're getting, we're getting caught up a little bit. So we forgot to ask the question, uh, Jason, beverage of choice while you're listening to podcasts, you're a coffee guy. I'm a coffee guy. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I forgive you, but you're a coffee guy. Yep. <laughs> now, did you learn that when you were overseas or, or were you a coffee guy before that? Uh, yeah, they they made great coffee in Kosovo, uh, espressos, um, yeah. macchiatos. I mean, really small, very much smaller than the American kind of mega size. But uh, you know, the, it's a cafe culture. So you know, with a with a, a you know kind of a, a a shot of you know the a shot of of espresso and a little milk, people would spend two or three hours talking. Um, so yeah, I drink a lot of coffee, and that's what got me started. <laughs> well, um, so uh, everyone, welcome back. Uh, Jason has been talking kind of about his experiences as, as a missionary in Kosovo. Um, and we kind of want to shift it now to bring him, bring you back to the States, just like Christine did, and uh, talk about your experiences there. You kind of mentioned this already earlier, but you came to Philadelphia to, to marry a girl and then uh, found some churches that were trying to have an Albanian ministry. And lo and behold, you show up and you speak Albanian. Um, so you found a nice little niche there, but, uh, so tell us a little bit about do some comparing and contrasting with ministry 
with Albanians kind of in their homeland versus ministry with Albanians in your homeland, at least your home country? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I think realized really quickly was it's a, it's a total different reality. Um, you know, that, that you're dealing with a, a similar culture and maybe language, um, but the experience of being an immigrant um, kind of changes a whole lot of things. Uh, so what, what might've been effective or, you know, useful in Kosovo or in Albania um, really had to, to take again, a posture of learning um, and figuring out how, what are the needs of people? What are, what's their reality? Um, how does the gospel kind of fit within this? My, when I was in Kosovo, I, I was working among Kosovar Albanians, which is, uh, they're, they're Albanians, but, but really because of their experience living outside of Albania proper, um, there, there's a different dialect and different kind of historic experience. In Philadelphia, it was, and Boston, it's more Albanians from Albania, uh, the country Albania, and so there's a there's a background there of, of communism, which was from about 1945 to 1990, and that communism was you know similar to North Korea today uh, in terms of its impact and isolation, and uh, so yeah, I had to just learn all over again uh, in in ways who who are these people? What are their what's their story uh, of wide variety of people coming? So Im immigration is interesting because it brings people from various locations in their country into one place. So in Philadelphia, you'll have Albanians from various different cities, um, parts of the country, different dialects. And so because they share the same language doesn't mean they're actually uh, similar in terms of their thought or their experience economically, a wide range of people's economic background. So yeah, just a, you know, definitely a need to learn and listen. I, you know, I think the immigrant, in the immigrant context, one of the, the things that's significant is it's a, it's a challenging place really for all, uh, you know, all who come and, and it brings the challenge of, of learning a new language, right? Learning a new culture, being in a new place. And that, that was really a shaking event um, that for some people opens them up in new ways, really to, to the love of Jesus that they, they probably wouldn't have experienced back in their home country. So, you know, one of the, the, the category, probably the, the age 40 to, to 80 category of, of people who come are the ones who are most challenged by life in immigrant context because they, they were doctors or they were lawyers or they were businessmen. And now they're starting from zero and so that the humbling of that, the, the insecurity of that, the, the missing of family culture really opens up an opportunity to welcome people and love them. And, and yeah. So, uh, you know, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures in particular, have a lot to say about, you know, care for the immigrant and, um, you know, looking after the immigrant. I mean, there are a number of passages we could point to. Uh, have your experiences, are those passages hitting you different now um, than they were um, prior to this experience? That's question one. And I guess question two is, um, what does obedience to those commands look like in America, do you think? Great question. Yeah, I mean, I had these, those, those uh, passages didn't really mean much to me until this happened, right? Those were just verses and, and kind of tucked away in the Old Testament, yeah. But now that, yeah, they come to life. That, well, that, and it's pervasive. Like it's, it's yeah, I mean. Everywhere, yeah. right? It's, it's one of the fundamental signs of being God's people is that you welcome the stranger. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not an optional thing. It's one of the markers, right, of obedience and love for God is that you welcome the stranger. And part of the basis of that was that they were once strangers. I right. mean, it's, it's like, like, you know tied up with that it, it's almost always the reminder of because you were once strangers yourselves in egypt yes yeah, yeah. and it, it's reflective of our spiritual stance right that we're spiritually we're actually strangers so strangers we're and aliens first peter yeah so yeah. that so we are spiritually just like them so the welcome we receive from god is the welcome we give them um so that power of welcome uh in it you know in an immigrant context is incredible. It's one of the things I think the, the, the potential power of a church to welcome, uh, to welcome immigrants and refugees and those, you know, seeking asylum 
is incredible, right? Uh, it, it's one of the, the clearest kind of pictures of the gospel is to be brought in and welcomed and loved um, and clothed and given food, right? Jesus talks about, you know, uh, when I didn't have food, you, you, you know, you gave me food. When I was without clothes, you clothed me, like pictures of these things. So yeah, my, my um, understanding of welcoming the, the immigrant, like, the, you know, caring for the orphans and the widows was, you know, it's a fundamental way that we, we show and demonstrate the gospel. Uh, so yeah, you know, in a context, you know, one of the things that's been, been helpful for me to say, uh, that, that we can, we can debate the, the governmental, uh, wisdom of how many refugees to let in and borders, and that's fine. But, but, but with those who are here, the Bible is crystal clear what we're supposed to do with them, right? In God's Mm -hmm. sovereign wisdom, if they're here among us, right? And they've come from different countries um, in different places. We are, there's a crystal clear call to love them and welcome them and be Christ to people. Um, So yeah, that's, that's been helpful for me is to say, we can, we can talk about the politics of this, but in practice, in my neighborhood and, and in the neighborhood of my church and in my workplace and you know, there's a crystal clear kind of biblical mandate to what I'm supposed right. to do. So, if, so if someone's listening to this right now and they're going, okay, I, the whole idea that those are commands is new to me. And I really want to obey those commands. Like what, what are some, just some on the ground things they can do to obey those commands? One would be to like, just get to know people. Um, so if you notice and start noticing the people in your life that God's already put there. Uh, it's the people who are working at the, the, the restaurant where you get pizza, right? The people who clean the office uh, when you're done. The, um, you know, all the places where God's put people in your lives that normally we just ignore um, or we're too busy to interact with. You start tre- treating people as people, right? With a story, uh, with a background. So I think that's part of it. You know, as you get to know people, so you know, the, the, the ideas of starting to get to know people's story and their family and their kids, and that, that starts to lead us into knowing how do we actually help them. Um, but I think, I think the, the, the how to easily comes after we've prayed uh, mm. and we've got to know people, right? We've yeah. got to know their stories and their needs. So uh, churches can, you know, we, I've, I've done a lot of English as second language classes. I've helped translate. I've helped t- taking people to, you know, appointments. I, I help them work through bills. I mean, there's all kinds of practical stuff you can do, but that arises yeah. out of actually knowing people, right? Yeah. 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 I know you've done a lot of work with just a lot of those just nitty gritty details of life that, you know, as an immigrant, you just, oh, even as, even as a national, sometimes they're pretty uh, confounding. So uh, especially as coming in where English isn't your first language, I know you've just done a lot of that kind of work, just very hands-on kind of stuff. Um, So I I imagine you've seen a lot of the, just the real frustrations that go along with that. If you imagine all of the mail that comes into your house and you can't read it well enough to understand if it's essential or advertisement, right? Right. Uh, Each of those things, you don't know if it's warning you about something bad that's going to happen or if it's someone scanning you. So the, the fear right in, 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 in a place where everything coming, you're, you're not quite sure you totally understand it and you're not quite sure if I, and, and so we're talking again about people who, who have a, pretty high level of English, but still when you get into these technical areas, um, is it a scam? Is it someone <laughs> warning me about something like just that thing? And um, So I think it's an example of a pretty mundane thing that we do so easily that if you're in a, a different language and culture in place is, is much more difficult. Yeah. And then you have, you know, you have the variety of, of immigrant experiences, right? So one of the things that's interesting is that um, some immigrants have been here for 30 years and you, uh, you know, they are totally kind of, uh, integrated into American society. Um, you have some immigrants who came who were doctors, um, and, uh, and because they have an, an accent, one of the things within our culture is we assume because someone has an accent, they're not smart. Yeah. 
when they might speak four languages <laughs> and be <laughs> a physiologist in their country and could blow you away, right? Yeah. Um, but the, the, in, the, the, the effect of language and accent just can totally kind of bias us or, or give us perception. So the immigrant experience is varied. Um, the needs of people is varied. Uh, and I think one of the awesome things is their, their contribution potential to our lives. So the, the ways that we can learn and grow and be blessed by relationship with people. It's, you know, it's, it is some of them we can help out, but there's also a lot of ways in which they will uh, bring perspective and wisdom and experience into our lives as well. Right. Right. So good. Well, that, yeah. Thanks, Jason. That's all like just really fascinating stuff. And, you know, we've talked about this some just throughout the course of our friendship, but I know a lot of the stuff is, is actually still pretty new to me and I'm sure new to some other people too, who, uh, especially depending on where you live in the country, you're just not that exposed to yeah. uh, to immigrants or people really of any other sort of backgrounds. Um, so it's all just really helpful. It, it, it opens our eyes a bit to recognize mm-hmm. that. And maybe we don't have people in our hometown who are from a foreign country, um, but there's always people that we can think of who are outsiders in some form or another. Uh, and just the things that you said about taking the time to get to know them and help them and understand their background and that they're not foolish or stupid just because they're different than us or whatever. I'm that stuff. I can, I can talk about that with my six-year-old now. Right. Uh, just in public school. Yeah. Um, totally. But uh, you know, you're mentioning a little bit about this idea of, you know, some of these, some of these immigrants are coming from uh, countries where they were doctors or other sort of leaders or probably fairly, you know, well-to-do in their own, or important in their own, in their own land. And then they come here and they're, you know, working whatever they can just to sort of pay rent or, or whatnot. Yeah. Um, so what does that look? I mean, I think there's, and maybe this is just totally a stereotype, but th- this, maybe the stereotype is uh, untrue, but stereotype is that a lot of the immigrants are working lower income jobs. So how does that affect like your, your understanding of poverty and how that, happens and how it perpetuates and yeah 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 i mean i think it it is it is just important for me to you know to continue to clarify that i think that the immigrant experience is so varied um and a lot of it depends on you know so the for the albanians it depends on uh, have they did they come last year have they been here for 10 years have they been here for 20 within the albanian community there's a ferocious appetite for advancement with um academics and learning and so you you know you have the the kind of the second generation the the young kids that grow up here excel and thrive and have become lawyers and doctors and real estate agents and you know are are doing wonderful um so it's the first generation especially if you're over 40 right the chance of you being able to re-enter the field of a doctor um, I mean, it's, you're trying to pay your, your, your way through life in Boston. You're trying to buy a, you know, you're trying to just pack away some money to maybe buy a house. And again, the incredible success of a lot of these families in saving money to, to put their family through uh, college or to buy a house. So there's incredible hard work and a lot of the fields, you know, like construction, um, where their skills are, incredible, you know, put to, put to use and they're so that, you know, there is, there are incredible ways that a lot of these immigrant communities thrive, uh, build wealth, uh, move forward. And that's, you know, just to add compared to, um, you know, experience in Albania, one of the things that's really clear is there, the American dream is alive and well, uh, and is a powerful force, right? Uh, that people are, are, are going after and running after. Um, so that's, that's a part of the reality is um, that we're dealing with. Now, you know, the poverty, yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic. Uh, again, yeah, I find some Albanian families that are kind of stuck in it. Um, most, for most of them, it's, it's, a, it's a complex reality. Uh, and, you know, we could say about this probably for, for most issues of, of poverty, you know, Tim Keller has, a, I really appreciate his, discussion of this and he talks about how biblically um, poverty in the Bibles uh, has three components. It's, um, you know, it's, it's crisis. So something like a hurricane or earthquake or the death of a father, famine, um, famine, or someone dies or someone's disabled, right? Like there's the crisis element. 
Then there's the personal choices element, right? Just people who make the bad choice, like we all do, right? Uh, Pro- and, Proverbs speak to this often. Right, yeah. Right. So there's the personal choice element. There's there's that reality, and then there's oppression. And so the idea biblically is is that usually poverty is not just caused by one of these; it's caused by some of these, right? Two or maybe three of them. And so there's there's not usually a simple method to solving it. Um, so you know there's families that have come to to America, and in the process of it. The father, you know, gets sick and is disabled and the family is, I mean, so you're, you're adding upon it a, a really a crisis plus the whole immigrant experience. Um, well, like Ruth and Naomi are a fine example of what you're talking about. Yes, right? Exactly. Uh, you know, Ruth comes as an immigrant, interestingly enough. Yes. Um, because her husband died and, and, you know, both of um, Naomi's sons died and in that culture, of course, not having an heir or a male to help protect you and have is a giant deal and so for sure that that's exactly the sort of thing yeah yeah so i think the the complexity of it lends again to knowing the stories of people yeah um, and it and it really challenges our simplistic uh solutions right people would just make better choices yeah exactly so one side of it is the solution you know, pull yourself up from your brute straps, right? Like that classic sense of just do it, man. Like just get over it. And that's, a, I mean, that's, that's assuming it's just all personal choices. But how do you say that again to a family that's lost a loved one, a family that's in crisis, that there's, there is even, you know, as well, factors of oppression. Um, you know, so, so there's that at side, you know, some of the secular theories out there, critical race theory, some of these might more lean towards it's all oppression, right? It's all the system that's causing right. an imbalance on the other end, right? Yeah. So the biblical solution is actually much more nuanced and complex. Yeah, it actually cause us to know people and to get our hands dirty in order to solve stuff, right? We just can't, we, there's no blanket solution, right? Yeah, I'm going to read. I'm going to read you a quote uh, from Sarah Kinzior. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name right. I I read her stuff from time to time. I'm almost positive she's not a Christian, but she's a really interesting quote about poverty. She says, "When wealth is passed off as merit, bad luck is seen as bad character. This is how ideologues justify punishing the sick and the poor. But poverty is neither a crime nor a character flaw." stigmatize those who let people die rather than those who struggle to live yeah yeah just thought that was kind of germane to what you're saying earlier about you know yeah personal choice is is perhaps one if if at all a factor uh in people who have well uh, you know who people who are stuck in poverty for sure it's too simple to say that like personal choice plays no role um but but it's also too simple to say that it it's that simple, uh, especially around things like, you know, years ago, um, President Obama did the whole you didn't build that thing and everybody lost their minds about him saying that. Mm. Uh, but what he's really saying there is, listen, you didn't plan to be born in America with paved roads and infrastructure. So, yes, you, you have a business and it's, and it's successful, but it's not like you didn't benefit from the time and place you were born and have running water. Yeah. I mean, and so like nobody really pulls themselves up by their bootstraps. Like nobody does that, like for real. Yeah. And so I think having a sense of that is is an important part of it. Well, and Christians should understand that better than anybody. Yeah. (laughs) Because I mean, almost our entire worldview is centered around this idea of we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps morally or financially or socially or, you know, whatever. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, and there's that realization that uh, that in my life I've seen, you know, there was a time when we were living in Philadelphia where we discovered there are termites. And I was imagining like, you know, the worst that's going to happen to me is that I, I'll borrow some money from my parents, right? Like someone will bail me out, right? Like um, if I encounter crisis, I am surrounded by people who have the means to help me. Um, and so even when we make bad choices, there's still people to kind of bail me out, right? Um, yeah. Financially or otherwise. Whereas a part of the part, the problem with, with, and so that's that's a, that's the privilege that I have is that I am surrounded by people who can help me 
even in the process of mistakes or learning. Whereas, yeah, again, if you're in, um, if you're, you're, if you or your family don't have means and a bad choice is made or a stock market hits or, you know, something, again, the crisis comes, uh, there's not the, the, the back, the, you know, the, the person there to just pick you right up. Um, so it's just, it's really fascinating to think of those things that we think of meritocracy, but really that's, that's a, that's a privilege for those who have the, the ability to do it. Right. To yeah. Even, you know, live yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. I've thought about that some in my life and some of the decisions that I've made that have been, uh, probably poor and, uh, but yeah, I've always, I've always been able to be bailed out when needed. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the other factor that I think that's made me think about all of this is, is, um, you know, our, our Christian perspective on blessing is very materialistic, right? So we've been blessed is what we say when we have a nice house or we have, uh, you know, we get to go on vacation or we, uh, we have health, right? Like uh, it's that, that again, like financial stability or prosperity is seen as blessing from God. Uh, whereas I, again, I think biblically, you know, you talk about James where he says, uh, you know, do you not know God's chosen the poor in this life to be rich in faith, right? Or you think of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. Spirit, blessed are those who are persecuted, right? Blessed yeah. are the merciful. So again, like materialism, how how has that even impacted the ways we we think of poverty? We think of materialism. Um, you know, we think of the blessing of God. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a challenging word for just our our culture because it's so yeah. it's so ingrained. And you know, me too. I mean, it's just so ingrained in us to tie these physical and material things in with spiritual things. And not to say that like, there's not, like, I don't think it's, I wouldn't say it's wrong to uh, label a, uh, you know, whatever a house or a car or whatever as a blessing. Right. Um, but maybe part of the rub with that comes with understanding what blessings are for. Mm-hmm. And they're not for us just to sort of hoard Right. You know, but well, okay, you have a blessing. You have, you know, you were just given a wonderful new car. Well, okay, if it's a blessing, then what you do to what you are to do with blessing then is in turn bless others. Yeah. And, well, there's and, that. There's that. And there's also like if you're going to receive like the car or the house as a blessing, then the termites have to be a blessing too. Right. Right. Like, 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 like that's the thing. You can't be like, okay, well, this I will accept from God as blessing, but this other thing. I mean, it, it doesn't work like that. They both have to be received from God's hand for yeah. his glory and for your good. Like that's, that, that's. Yeah. And we just sang yesterday in church, we sang blessed, blessed be your name. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things I like about that song is it starts off with like, blessed be your name for all the wonderful things. And when times are great, but then it's like, and also when times are terrible too, like it's yeah. a really, it's a well-balanced song. And actually the, um, one of the mus- musicians spoke beforehand just to sort of point that out, you know, that there is blessing in both the good and the hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And I think the, the, the category that's been helpful for me is to think about just a, a steward, right. The, the parable right. Um, uh, of the, you know, the master entrusting to the servants different amounts. Right. And so there's a, uh, it's helpful for me to think of like, you know, as I've come to terms with this, reality that I'm in the 99th percentile of people in the world in terms of whether it's education or it's money or it's all of these things that, uh, you know, I don't have to be guilty about that. Um, but it's also, it's not, I don't think it's not a sign of God's favor necessarily. Right. Um, it's this stewardship. So God's given me these things and he's entrusted me with these things. And, uh, how do I be faithful? Right. Um, and how do I uh, utilize them and um, use them to, to bless others? Uh, and so- you'll be held to account for how you do and how you don't. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Don- Donald Whitney writes about this in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He's got a section called God Owns Everything You Own. <laughs> he says that means we are managers, or to use the biblical words, stewards of the yeah. things God gives to us. God wants us to use and enjoy the things he permits us to have, but as stewards of them, we must remember that they all belong to him. 
and should be used for his kingdom. And yeah. I think he's writing mostly in terms of like material blessings, but or financial blessings. But I think that extends to all sorts of manner of blessings, whether it's spiritual giftings or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. 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 And I, I continue to be, uh, to, to confront the reality that I'm, I'm a product of this culture. Right. And so even though I've been other cultures and other time away from, you know, from America and with others has, has challenged me in this, but I'm still like materialism still just part of my DNA, right. It's the, the water I swim in, um, consumerism, these things. And so, yeah, really, really pushing back against that. Even, um, it's not easy. I mean, that's where we need the grace of God. And Well, hey, thanks, Jason, for being on the show today. It's been really awesome just to catch up and hear more about your life and ministry. Um, I mean, obviously, we've known each other for a while, but there's a few things I learned today about you that I didn't, that I didn't realize. And it's just really, just really interesting just to hear your perspective on things and the things that the Lord has been teaching you through those experiences and through your reflection on those experiences. Um, so our plan is to have Jason back on for kind of a part two really and soon yeah and soon um maybe next week we'll see if it works out with our schedule so we'll have him on for part two talk a little bit more about his family uh, and his journey through adoption and just some of the life lessons that have been learned through that um so we're looking forward to that but anyway you've been listening to matt and kevin talk church actually you've been listening to matt and kevin and jason talk church but that's a whole other trademark. So uh, we hope that what you've heard has been helpful. It's been encouraging. It's been edifying. It's been educational uh, and thought-provoking. So if you have any questions you'd like us to answer or that you'd like Jason to answer, if you have any questions for him, get them in soon before we have him on next time so he can answer all of his fan mail or whatever sure. it is that you're going to send us. So uh, you can always do that by emailing us at mattandkevintalkchurch at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at mktc that being said i'm matt and i'm kevin and he's jason and we've been talking church with our friend jason stride be warm and be fed i had a friend text me about the warm and be fed thing finally somebody got it they were like hey wait a minute i just caught what you guys are doing <laughs> that it's a joke yeah ironic yeah yeah it actually fits in perfectly especially with this episode it's especially like perfect but anyway yeah it really is uh, like that's been a joke between kevin and i for you know a long time a long time well it's just in, in james where he's talking about like if someone hey, comes if you say to you you and, and is right. hungry and hungry and ill-clothed or whatever and all you say is be warm and be fed but don't meet his needs and what good is that so yeah, that's it's kind of like a joke. I think once I went to Matt with like some problem I was having or whatever, after a long pause, he's just like, well, be warm and be fed and hung up. <laughs> <laughs>